Welcome to the world's premier Black Crows podcast. State of America. Hosted by two of the band's most dedicated fans, David Hudson and Ian Rice. And now, let's get the show on the road. All right, everybody, welcome back to the State of America podcast. I am David, and I'm here with my buddy Ian, and I hope uh, everybody's having a good week. I know I have. Ian, what about yourself? Not too bad, not too bad. Busy, but uh, good nonetheless. It's been uh, excruciatingly hot here in the New York area this last week, so... Wow. I know. Yeah. I feel like uh, I don't. I shouldn't even bring it up to you. You're, you know, you're on the, the surface of the sun compared to where I am. We had a heat index of 117 the other day. All right. Well, it's not a contest, David. <laughs> you can't function like that, Ian. I hibernate July and August. I just go out for the essentials. Yeah, I don't. I don't blame you. I mean, I got into my car the other day, and the little readout on the on the you know the display was 111. I said, oh boy. I've got, I've got like, the, my interior is black and I have leather seats. And so like sometimes if, if my Jeep has been like somewhere it's not in the garage and it's, you know, so hot and I get in it and like my shorts ride up on the back of my legs and your legs hit the seat. Ooh, black leather and an exposed leg. Not a good yeah. combination. <laughs> that is, that is, uh, that's never, that's never good. I'm ready for the real fall to get here. We've yeah. got a while to go though. We do. And I'm sure there's someone listening to this somewhere that you know is laughing at both of us because they're you know they're in South America somewhere and uh, yeah <laughs> you know, it's about a billion degrees there or something you know or they're like uh, have you ever been to Vegas no I hear it's a dry heat though they always say that you know so I, I've I, the one time I went was in it was in like June and it was like a legit 110 it felt like an 85 here. Because there's no really? humidity. Yeah, like, like it was warm, but, like, you didn't sweat, and it didn't, like, affect your breathing or anything like that. And I was like, yeah, this isn't that bad. No, I mean, my, my uh, parents relocated to Florida a couple of years back, and that's warm. I've been down there uh, in, in July. And- that's miserable. No, that's that's even worse than here. We, we go to uh, Disney World every couple of years, but we always go in December. That's the best time to go. You I went there. It was a festival. It was lovely. You couldn't pay me to go right now. Like literally, if you if you said, Dave, you got to go to Disney and you got to do all five parks or whatever in five days, you have to stay 10 hours at each park. We'll pay your expenses. And at the end of the trip, we'll give you $10,000 cash that the government doesn't know about. No, thanks. Uh, I'd still probably do it. I'd try to. <laughs> I'm out. I could use, I could use the 10 grand. <laughs> I mean, I cannot. Uh, I, I just cannot do that. Well, it's been uh, it's been a while since uh, we've actually recorded. It has, and some uh, some significant doings in the Black Crows universe. I think, yeah. Well, the first thing I think we should talk about is uh, the Crows released for the first time in a long time uh, some new merchandise. Mainly, it was new shirts. I looked at them before we came on here. I think there's two I'm going to get. I, you know, I'm sure what has happened is they had all this stuff printed for the tour, and it's just sitting around. Yeah, a good uh, a good friend of the show, uh, uh, William Whalen, who was a, a early guest for us. He actually made that same remark on one of the uh, you know the many Black Crows groups, and you know he was accused of being uh, negative about it. But I don't. It's not a negative statement. It's just probably they have merchandise they intended to sell at these shows that now they're they're you know they're gonna. It's obviously time sensitive. You know. Did you uh, did you see any that that you liked? See, the problem is I was never really big on the. I guess it's referred to as like the heckle and jekyll, the two mm-hmm. crows, the original designs. Like I didn't like that artwork as much. I like some of the later, you know, more trippy looking stuff, you know. But uh, there was one. I think it it had like the it just said the black crows on the front in like the shake your money maker type font, and on the back it says presents shake your money maker, and it was like you know like a, a female looking crow kind of thing. I, that one was interesting to me too. I'll uh, I'll pick up something for sure. Speaking of art, did I show you that picture that I got painted? Yes. Yeah, I'll put it has that, our logo in it. Yeah, I'll put that up on our Instagram. Uh, one of our listeners, I paid him to uh, to paint it. I'm going to get that framed and put, get put up here. So we have new merchandise, and um, the guy that's the new manager for the Crows, what is his name? Was it Mike? Um, it looks like, to me, I've never heard it pronounced, but Mike Didia. Yeah. He did an interview talking about how the Crows are going to get involved in e-commerce, and like I think they're even going to have a shirt at like Hot Topic, and of course... 
the message boards melted down over that one. You know, just yeah. ha- had a lot of a lot of fun, a lot of fun with it. That was fun reading those things. I, I would I would think that as a as a manufacturer or or a presenter of any kind of commercially viable product, you would want it to to be available as many avenues as possible. Like to me, that doesn't it doesn't make sense why you would you would have something and not want to get it to as many facets of society that that you could. Well, I think one of the things is, and this is a pet peeve of mine. You'll see like celebrities, like you'll see like Kim Kardashian or something wearing like a Metallica shirt. She couldn't name a Metallica song. No, and it's as a music fan, it's annoying. But at this, by the same token, you know, to look at it from the other perspective, it's like, yeah, she doesn't know a, a, a note of their music, perhaps, or or a very limited amount of their music. But her wearing that, especially because she's such a public figure, that's their name is now you know all over the place. Oh yeah, I mean that's taken of her is it has their logo in it. I mean. You know, I get that. I get that. It's probably but, sell a record or two. Not that they need it. But more newsworthy to come out of that, he says between now and the end of the year, there will be a three record box set that will have a uh, full concert from the Jeff Cease era that will come yeah, out. Yeah, something that uh, I guess maybe was intended for release around that time, but never made the cut or whatever, which is cool. I'm always uh, big on. Any any new material, uh, new meaning, you know, something that hasn't been put out before. Um, I think it'd be cool. It'd be cool to hear a, a live show from that era, especially something that sounds like it was put together, you know, as for a potential actual live album. You know, speaking of live material from them, though, it also in that article sounded like uh, that manager is the reason why uh, a lot of stuff disappeared from the live Black Crows site you know through nugs.net and why that's not as active as it once was it didn't sound like he saw the merit in doing that which i kind of take issue with because that was i mean i'd keep buying stuff from if they kept putting out you know archive stuff on there well see i'm gonna get on the soapbox for a second mike nadia if you're listening we want archival releases as physical product properly mastered don't put them on Spotify. Don't put them on a streaming service. Pay to download CD and vinyl. Every six months, release a show. Release the High as the Moon Houston show. Release some of those Beacon 96 recordings that were professionally done. Release it properly mastered and mixed. And then we want a reissue of Southern Harmony with unreleased B-sides. Properly mastered. We want that for Amorca and Three Snakes. And then we want the band sessions to come out solo as the band sessions with the other stuff that didn't make the Lost Crows. Just do that. Because here's the thing. You're only going to get so many t-shirt purchases, right? Right. Most people, most fans at the most right now would only buy two t-shirts. And that's it. And You've used that up. You put out an archival release every six months, the same people are going to buy it every time. Yeah, I mean, and especially now, like, you know, uh, as, you know, bands and artists are trying to figure out what to do because they can't tour, like, bands like Blackberry Smoke and, 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 and other acts have released archival stuff, whether it be live shows or, or what have you. And it's like, you know, I, I've laid out money for, you know, some some archival releases for groups that i'm not nearly as into as the black crows i mean i can only imagine what i would throw out there and that'd be like the gift that keeps on giving for them because you'd get a hit every six months or however often you release something you know right yeah i mean just just put it out there i mean we're people are gonna buy it It, it's like they're they're only thinking of the short term not the long term in in a lot of these cases you know with regard to some of the merch though it did sound like they had you know, they were starting with the, sh- the shirts and things, and it sounded like other stuff might be forthcoming. So, you know, it's it's a lot of ambiguity, but it's also some promise in that, too. And we still never got that uh, acoustic live stream that they did for the our Canadian friends. Yeah, I just thought of that the other day. Just I think they mentioned it in that article, actually. I mean, come but, on. But, you know, it, it's on YouTube. Come on. Is it? I haven't, I haven't even... I haven't even searched for it. I did go back and listen to that... Kate, I love this. I went back and listened to that NPR broadcast again, though. That was really, really good. It is, and 
I don't know. I just feel like I feel like at this point in time, there's there's a an untapped resource for them, you know, to be doing that stuff. I mean, even like the most cynical, disgruntled Black Crows fan, you put out archival releases from ninety two ninety seven. They're gonna buy them. Yeah, I mean, I, I would think so, and it's it shows that you're not completely turning your back on your past history. It would be funny if when they release. The box said it's a version of Shake Your Money Maker with just Rich's guitar playing and Chris singing. <laughs> like the actual mix and just take everybody yeah. else out, you know? That would be, be I would weird. have to I would have to slow clap them on that. That would be funny. It would be. And I'd listen to it just out of interest, but uh I didn't realize this, you know, speaking of Shake Your Money Maker, I just found this out the other day, but you know, in I think it was like ninety eight when they put out the show enough box set. And uh, Kevin Shirley kind of had a remaster of those things, I believe. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that Shake Your Moneymaker and Southern Harmony were also remixed to a degree. Really? Yeah, so uh, Shake Your Moneymaker, the the bass frequencies were brought up in the mix, I think. So you can hear Johnny Colt a bit more clearly. Interesting. And then I don't know exactly what the differences are with uh, Southern Harmony, to be honest with you. But I did read that somewhere. Don't tinker with Southern Harmony. It's perfection. It is. But I, 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 that one, I mean, if you, and I did compare the original Shake Your Money Maker, because this is what a, a Black Crows nerd I am, David. Mm. I actually sought out a copy of the Shake Your Money Maker that doesn't have Rick Rubin's name on it. Right. In the original, which I have one of those, you know. That's, you, tr- you truly are an ar- archivist. I am. Hey, speaking of Southern Harmony, uh, if you, all of you out there aren't familiar, there's a podcast called Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews which is a really, really good podcast. They're very eclectic. Like, one week they'll do Megadeth, and, like, the next week they do, like, a Fleetwood Mac album. Anyway, they asked me, and I'm going on there in August to to do Southern Harmony. And uh, Ray Permy, who's one of our big supporters, is going to be on it as well. Oh, really? He's a great guy, man. Yeah. So uh, be on the lookout for that. We'll we'll post that. But I've had numerous people reach out and say, hey, I want to come on and do an album review with you guys. And we appreciate that greatly. But the big three, we're, we're holding on to those. We're trying, we're trying to get either people that played on the album or produced the album to come on to, to do those three. So that's why like we haven't done those. Because people are like, why haven't you done Southern Harmony? Well, that's why. Yeah, well, plus, I mean, you know, uh, David gets invited everywhere to talk <laughs> about those albums, too. And, uh, you know, I'm sitting here... Uh, it's you because know, it's, you gotta get, you've got to get more involved on social media. I am. <laughs> That's right. I, you, you do run the Facebook. I do. I answer everybody, or at least <laughs> I think I do. I try to. If I haven't answered you, I'm sorry. I didn't see it. But uh, anyway, so be on the lookout for that. But yeah, those three we're trying. Man, I'm there's one person I'm trying to get do Southern Harmony with us, and I'm just I'm wearing out every avenue possible. <laughs> I know it's true, and also if I may just. Uh, Go right back to that. Not only does David get invited everywhere, but people only say yes to come on the show if David asked them. Okay, the only one courteous enough to say yes to me was Rob Cloris, and I think that's because he's from New Jersey. So <laughs> I use the northern charm. As <laughs> Speaking of Rob Cloris, his new project Split Second Meltdown is out. Yeah, seriously. If anybody, you know, I, I put a link up to it on our Facebook, and uh, you know, we'll get it up on the other social media. But, uh, you know, check it out. Support him. He, he's such a great guy. He was really, really courteous and generous to us coming on here. And we really genuinely like the guy and like talking to him. And he will be back in the future. But we'd like to support what he's doing because uh, musicians need the support right now, especially uh, fellow Black Crows people, you know. And it is a rock record. Make no no mistake about it. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a true, uh, true, true rock record. Also, uh, another thing that happened is uh, Brian Jones, who's a guy that's uh, really supported our podcast from day one. He has started a podcast called All Things Blues and Southern Rock, and uh, he's reached out to me and Ian to help him with some of the technical aspects of that. And he released his um, first episode last week, and he has a co-host, Jeremy... Jeremy Hunsaker. Yeah, Hunsaker. I'm going to be honest with you, for a first podcast, first episode, first time ever doing it, it was really, really good. It, it, like, it's called All Things Blues and Southern Rock, so you can imagine it's about, you know, 
the Black Crow, Blackberry Smoke, Leonard Skinner, you know, Bishop Gunn, those kind of bands. Go like their Facebook page. It's All Things Blues and Southern Rock. And uh, he's posting it there. I don't think it's up on iTunes yet, but uh, he has it on some other platforms. I was I was really, really impressed with the first episode. Jeremy is an actual, is he's a musician. And he I think he said he's seen The Crows a hundred times. He he gave a lot of great insight on there, and anyway, so support those guys. That uh, they're really doing a good job with that. I'm looking forward to episode two. Yeah, I unfortunately haven't uh, had the opportunity to because I like to when things like that come out. I like to listen to them in one shot when I can pay full attention, and I just haven't had uh, a moment to do that. But definitely support those guys. Both of those guys are big supporters of this podcast, and uh, uh, you know Jeremy in particular has. Uh, given us some uh, gifts along the way uh, and uh, some audio gifts and uh, you know uh, he's always been a very nice guy you know even prior to us starting the podcast I, I knew him from message boards and things and he was always a very courteous guy and Brian uh, you know always big supporter of what we do so we'd like to return the favor well our guest this week is somebody I'm sure they'll talk about on their podcast at some point um, I would hope so Yes, our guest this week is Charlie Starr from Blackberry Smoke, uh, lead singer and guitar player, and this one just kind of fell in our lap. Yeah, he uh, followed us on um, Instagram, and I just messaged him and said, hey, would you like to come on and talk music in the Crows? And he immediately, yes, I would love to. So uh, Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure it, it derived from us having Britt on here not too long ago, but uh, great guy, fantastic to talk with him. I, I uh, you know, I'm a, I, like I've, I mentioned in the interview. You know, I'm, I'm more of a latecomer to the Blackberry Smoke, but you know, I've I have I've gotten you know nearly all their records at this point, and I really am a big fan. And you know, and David's a big fan, and um, you know, he was a really interesting guy to talk to. And uh, you know, hopefully, we'll have him back again in the, in the future because he seemed to, uh, I at least hope so, enjoy himself while he was on. Yeah, he. I mean, he's uh, obviously a a music nerd like us, and I think he said on there he met Chris and Rich in 97. He'll, he'll talk about it. So he's going to talk about Blackberry Smoke, and he's going to talk about the Crows and just kind of their set their live presentation and just kind of music in general. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and apologize to everybody on this one. <laughs> <laughs> I fanboyed out on this one pretty bad. I got a little giddy a time or two on it. And so uh, I, I apologize for that. That may not be the most professional thing to do, but uh, I, I was really – really really pumped about this one really just a super nice guy everything you've heard about him is is great and uh anyway so i ramble on a time or two and a couple of questions and fanboy out so you guys will have to forgive me from doing that you know what it was like it was like like the day the day leading up to you know because we recorded it uh later in the evening um the day leading up to that is like when it when a kid wakes up like four hours before their parents on Christmas morning, you know, and they're like, is it time yet? Is it time yet? Right. And like we knew it was going to happen, couldn't really tell anybody because you didn't want to jinx it or anything. And I, I, in your defense, David, I don't think it was uh, as uh, fanboyish as you seem to think. And, uh, you know, I was there too, so I counted, I counted it, you know, a little bit. Oh, uh, but yeah, so he is a, he's, it's a great interview. We think all of you, uh, are going to enjoy it. You got anything else in before we throw it to it? No, just, uh, you know, I, if I can mention again, I mean, we did mention it when Britt was on and I did a little video at the time it came out, but they have that, uh, live at Capricorn sound studios, uh, EP that's out right now. That's their most recent release. Plus the three, uh, archival shows they just released on Bandcamp. So if, uh, if you're interested in Blackberry smoke, and even if you, you know, if you're going to be the first time dipping your toe into the, into the water with them i would check out those releases you won't be disappointed yeah so thank you to uh, charlie for coming on and um here's charlie star hope everybody enjoys it and uh, we'll talk to you uh, next week
And today is a, a really cool day. It's not every day you get to talk to uh, one of your favorite musicians. Uh, we've been lucky enough to have that happen in the past with uh, Mr. Steve Gorman and Jimmy Ashurst and uh, Matt Slocum, so, uh, numerous people. It's a real honor to have Charlie Starr on here from, from Blackberry Smoke. And if you aren't familiar with Blackberry Smoke, you need to go listen to them because, man, they, uh, they are carrying the torch of the crows forward. With that kind of introduction, uh, Charlie, it, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Yes. Hey, thank you guys for having me. Thank you very much. Well, Charlie, before we talk music, we need to ask you, uh, how are you holding up during the quarantine, and um, what, what have you guys been up to? I heard y'all have actually recorded another album. We did, yeah. We snuck we snuck into the studio um, and uh, recorded a new album, and um, we didn't get in a hurry, um, and not in a hurry to release it either, because we can't really promote it yet. <laughs> so, um, and it, it, I mean... And uh, to that point, really, I mean, the industry has slowed down anyway. So to get things packaged and and distributed is not as easy as it would be were we not going through a pandemic. So uh, I think probably the first of the year, the release time. Well, I mean, you guys have been on a roll. You had the uh, the acoustic EP came out that was stellar. The Homecoming album is one of my favorite albums released last year. And then... We get the Capricorn Studios uh, EP a couple of weeks ago, and uh, that is one of the most perfectly recorded albums I've ever heard. The fidelity on it is insane, and especially for a studio, if I understood you say, that hasn't really been used in 30 or so years. Yeah, um, well, that's in large part to the guys, you know, that were turning the knobs (laughs) that day. Um, I don't, I'm not sure if a full band had been into that room uh, before we went in that day. And so a couple of great engineer friend of uh, friends of ours, Tom Tapley and Jake Burns, uh, got to give them credit. Uh, they went down and, and, um, made sure everything was in working order. And I mean, it is a magical room also though. Uh, can't argue with that because we didn't spend any extra time trying to make it sound great. We just, he mic'd us where we stood and, and amps and drums and we're all in one room basically, except for whenever we needed an acoustic instrument, it would go into a little isolation room, you know, a little booth. And, uh, I mean, that was one afternoon because, you know, in the beginning we weren't gonna, it wasn't intended to be a release. It was just, we were capturing video because, you know, video is probably the most powerful tool that you can utilize when you're promoting a tour or a a record or whatever. And uh, so we just wanted to capture some cool looking video and to be in that room. That was a, that was really, you know, it was really uh, serendipitous because a friend of ours called. We were trying to figure out a way to promote the the spirit of the South tour that we were going to that we would be on right now. <laughs> um, and so we got that phone call and said, "Hey, Capricorn is open. Come down here and record a song." And we were like, "Oh, damn! Well, that will be perfect, you know, to go and play some of these." Um, at least the Capricorn making Georgia's side of the history of Southern rock and roll music. Uh, go play some of those songs in the room where a lot of it was recorded. It's like, like you, you said, it sounded so good. We were like, well, damn, there might be people. I mean, you know, I don't, we were, we were like, we're, we're not really trying to sell an album of covers, <laughs> but <laughs> it just turned out to be a really special thing. I think everybody could feel it. You know, when, when it was done, it was like, wow, why does it take us a month to make a record when we just did that in an afternoon? <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely clear you guys had like a real reverence for the material. How how did you decide what songs you were going to do in, in those sessions? Well, um, that would have been a, uh, or it could have been a tough decision to make, you know. But we kind of, since we didn't have much time, and we didn't have a whole lot of time to rehearse, uh, we stuck in initially with songs that we had played before. Um, and like, 
one thing in the beginning, I was like, do we really want to do Midnight Rider? I mean, obviously, Midnight Rider is it, it, it needs, you know, no explanation. It's Midnight Rider crying out loud. But then <laughs> but then I didn't know until the day before that the original demo of that song was recorded in that room because Greg and campaign broke in and Greg, Greg had just written it. And Kim wrote, uh, I think he wrote uh, a couple of lines of lyrics with Greg, but apparently the story is Greg was like, I don't want to forget it. So we better, we better get it on tape, you know? So then it was like, well, screw it. Let's do Midnight Rider. And then, you know, we made a quick call to Jimmy Hall and he um, was he's so great. I mean, what a what a he's just a force of nature still, you know, to watch him do his thing. And and uh, he came down and sang the, the Wet Willie songs. And somebody asked me, he said, why didn't you sing it with him? I said, why would I? <laughs> <laughs> he didn't need any help from me. Good grief. It really was a, a you know, a pleasant surprise to have in the middle of all this and Ian and I both are big, uh, we're big believers in paying for music and buying physical product. And it's, it's cool that, you know, you guys took the time and put that out and, and, and you had the vinyl available when honestly, you know, I, I've been going back and buying just back catalogs of vinyl all during the quarantine to try to support the artist. You guys had that, but you also put out a couple of shows on Bandcamp, two acoustic shows, I believe from New York and then a show from Europe. Is that right? Yeah. in London. And and mm-hmm. those man those acoustic shows are are just so good. I lo- I love hearing a band strip it down like that and 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 get back to the basics. And two two killer killer shows you released. Thanks, man. That was um, that was that. Those were the last two shows. Uh, we we did a a um a full tour, an acoustic tour, and uh, those were the last two shows of the tour. That was last March, uh, I believe. Um. But it was so much fun. We, you know, for a band like us, that that's what we do is tour year after year after year after year. And so we're coming up on 20 years, you know, next year. And uh, I remember thinking we had done things like that before. We had done some acoustic sets here and there. We did um, an, a full acoustic show from time to time, but not very often. And so it was a pretty easy thing to decide when it, you know, my point is that when you're a band that tours this much, sometimes you got to change it up a little bit. I mean, not even we, we change up the songs that we play, but it was to really, you know, cleanse the palate, I guess, you know, and I remember, you know, social media being the way that it is, you can hear everyone's opinion uh, <laughs> yeah. immediately. And uh, I remember Britt, he laughed, he called me and said, some dude just got on Facebook and said, I can't believe they're doing this acoustic shit. This is going to be, this This is the end of the band. <laughs> <laughs> the opposite of Dylan plugging in, Blackberry right. Smoke's going <laughs> acoustic. Plugging, they're, they're done. That's it. That's over. But we, I, I enjoyed that tour, I can't, immeasurably, I can't tell you. And it's it, for exactly the reasons that you mentioned, because there's nothing to hide behind and you're just playing the songs, and that's the way they're born anyway, you know? Yeah, so those are on Bandcamp, so go there and, and, and buy those. They're definitely um, they're definitely good. Well, Charlie, one of the things that really drew me to you guys after I, after I saw you live and, and, and started kind of buying the albums and, and getting involved in your social media, y'all are truly a fan's band. I, I don't know of many other bands that treat their fans the way you do, and you have such a... The whole band has such a healthy respect for the people that follow them. 
you know, people go see you guys take a week or two off work and travel around the country and see you. And it, it's, it's really cool to see how you respect that and you don't take advantage of the fans. I went to see you guys um, last summer with, with Tedeschi Trucks and half the people were there strictly to see Blackberry Smoke. And then they got obviously got turned on Tedeschi Trucks. But how, how did that come to be, the kind of interaction that you have with the fans and just how you treat everybody? When we first started to tour, we didn't get paid very much for a show. You know, we might make 200 bucks. And so what we relied on was merchandise um, to put fuel in the tank and Mm -hmm. to get us, you know, around the country in a van. And what we would do is after we would play, we would go to the merch table and sit and meet as many people as we could and sell merchandise. And I don't mean that to sound like it was, you know, like that's a loaded way to do it, but that, that, we were that we were kind of plying our trade, you know. Those uh, old bluegrass guys used to do that. Um, if you would go to festivals from way back in the seventies, even they would play their show and they would say, "I'll meet you out in front in the lobby in fifteen minutes, and I'll sign all your hats and all your records and all your, you know." And uh, so that that kind of was the model, you know, for that kind of business, really. For us. And it was very small, you know. We might at that point we might played of 10 people so it didn't take very long <laughs> but as the audiences started to grow a little larger and a little larger we kept doing it and and gladly you know it got to be where we couldn't do it anymore and uh some of the early friends because we made friends you know not just not just what what you, you might say a person is a fan but we made lifelong friends that we're still uh, f- friends with those people to this day you know and um they got some of those people got a little miffed in the beginning because it's like, well, we can't come out and talk to you anymore. You know, that's but to answer your question, that's that's how we started. And being that we're a uh, a predominantly uh, Black Crows related podcast, I, I do notice a lot of similarities in your approach uh, at the Black Crows. For example, when you guys choose cover material for the longest time, the Black Crows was the only band I ever saw that I preferred their cover versions to some of the originals, actually. And that, that is definitely the case with you guys. For example, the the, uh, the Southern Ground Sessions, the version of... I never thought that I could hear a version of You Got Lucky that I felt I enjoyed more than Tom Petty's version, you know what I mean? So it's... Uh, I was just curious how you guys arrive at, uh, at picking your cover material. Oh, man. Well, thank you very much, first of all. Um, but it's exactly what you said, just songs that we love, you know, and... Um, from time to time, um, on the road, it it might be something that you hear uh, on when your iPhone is shuffling, you know, <laughs> uh, and be like, "Oh, we should do that one. Oh, we should do this one." And, and uh, speaking of the crows, it's tough sometimes when I say like, if Britt and I are sitting there drinking a cup of coffee and a song comes on, I'm like, "Oh, damn, we should do that song right there." And he's like, "Yeah, the crows did it." <laughs> <laughs> happens more often than not but uh, a couple of years ago our keyboard player brandon still who's he's a big prog guy and 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 loves pink floyd and genesis and yes and but also loves leon russell and little feet and the dead and i mean he loves good music period but uh we were sitting one day and uh, we were listening to black sabbath and uh i said brent uh because Brandon, uh, like a lot of us when we were young, he was in a cover band. <laughs> you ever do any Sabbath? And I was kind of joking. And he said, I have done Sabbath. Because me as a guitar player, that's some of the first stuff that you learn on electric guitar at right. 12 years old. Is, that's kind of like this, this where you start the jumping off point. But he said, I have. And he goes, you know a song that we should cover, which he never says. And I, what's that and he said fairies wear boots and i dropped what i was doing immediately and said are you serious <laughs> that's a fantastic idea and uh, i said but then i was like but what are you gonna play <laughs> and uh, he's you know he's i i shouldn't have worried about that he had it handled fine but <laughs> Thank you. 
his his one uh, suggestion was a winner. <laughs> Fairies wear boots. Hey, and, and you guys are one of the few bands that's brave enough to cover uh, when the levee breaks. <laughs> I can only sing it for about thirty five seconds, and then. <laughs> let's let's kind of get into kind of your uh, your history real quick. You're actually from Alabama, right? And the rest of the band is predominantly from Georgia. Is that correct? No, the only two true Georgians are um, Britt and Richard. Okay. Well, actually, um, I think Britt was born in Ohio, maybe. They were, they were Air Force kids. Okay. But I, I th- they spent most of their lives in Atlanta. I'm from just north of Auburn, uh, 85 miles south of Atlanta. Uh, Brandon is from South Carolina. And Paul Jackson, the other guitar player, is from Pensacola, Florida. Well, one of the things that my wife and I have laughed about when we listened to the song One Horse Town, I grew up in a very small town in the Mississippi Delta. And when I, when I was listening to it, I said, that song was written by a guy that grew up in a small town. Yeah, for <laughs> I mean, sure. There's no, there's no faking it on that one. Well, funny, I wrote that song with a good friend, Travis Meadows. I've written lots of, we write lots of songs together. And he's from Mississippi. And we didn't even discuss anything when we were writing that song. We sat in a room and knocked it out. Boom, 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 line after line, back and forth, back and forth. And I was like, we we went, we grew up together. We weren't together, but we were we were together. It's a shared experience. <laughs> yeah. So Britt, when he was on here, he explained to us he and his brother's uh, relationship with the Crows. How did you first meet them and, and kind of how did the friendship start? I met them uh, the night that I met Britt. Wow. Uh, playing with another guy in Atlanta with a singer songwriter. I was his guitar player and, uh, he was putting a new band together and said, Hey, do you want to go with me to meet these guys I used to play with? And it was, he used to play with Britt and Richard back in the late eighties. And, uh, I said, sure. And we went to meet them at a, uh, a warehouse slash rehearsal space slash studio that Britt, was running at the time. This was in 97, I think. And when we walked in, Chris, Rich was leaving and Chris was there. And they, it was, uh, before they recorded by your side. And so, uh, and we started rehearsing next to them. They were in the big room and we were in a smaller room and, um, they were, they were great, you know, and I was already a huge fan, of course. I mean, um, who's not, you know, but, um, they were great. I think right, that was right around the time Audley joined. It was right before. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm I'm guessing at at 97. I think that was the year. Well, I mean, you seem to have had a uh, an ongoing relationship with Rich Robinson in particular. I mean, you played on his Flux album, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, and he sat in with you a few times. How does that uh, come to be? Uh, that that he was you know joining you on stage and things like that. Well, he was when, when I first met them. He was very very quiet. He was, you know, the um, the aloof brother. You know, and Chris, Chris is the is the the entertainer of the two, you know, so to speak. Um, but Richard, um, my wife and I moved. We were living in a place called Carrollton, Georgia, which is about an hour west, and we moved back into Atlanta, into Buckhead, where she grew up. Uh, she inherited the house she grew up in, so we moved back into town, and we were. I was. Rich was a pretty close neighbor, and I didn't know that. And then we we wound up running into each other, and I don't know we just started jamming together, and you know our kids and wives hanging out together, and and uh, all that kind of the way the way that kind of thing goes. But but I think that at that point that was another period where they were estranged, mm. the the brothers. But we did an acoustic show together up in Nashville at Grimey's, the basement. And that was really, that was a cool thing. And um, but then you know he we had um, he was still living in town and he wasn't um, he didn't have I think he was maybe making one of his solo records but he wasn't touring a whole lot at that time. And so like we we would play the Tabernacle uh, in town. We do a, a an annual show there, and uh, he would come out and sit in with us. And and uh, he's just a great dude. They both are. I was always kind of surprised that uh, there was no kind of joint tour between the two of you, just because you seemed to have similar ideals. Was there ever any talk of uh, touring together? Or the- we did a short run with Magpie. It was 
pr- pretty close to the end of what they were doing at the time. And it, I think it was, I think it was four shows, but it was fantastic. And uh, I think there's some video on YouTube where we pretty much got both complete bands on stage. Yeah, you did. Uh, but, can't you hear me knocking? Yeah. I mean, you know, it, uh, I was asked before about, you know, if there was a scene in Atlanta, I think maybe a European journalist. And I said, not anymore. There was, though. And, and that was the bands that we would go and see. It was Driving and Crying and The Crows. And, and before that, the Georgia Satellites and Dan Baird and the Hellhounds. And that's that's powerful music, man. Well, I got to, you know, you're you're a very accomplished guitar player in your own right. What was it like kind of sharing the stage and soloing with uh, Mark Ford? <laughs> It was uh, daunting. I mean, you know, <laughs> he's uh, he's a special musician, man. It's just not many people that play the guitar have the touch and the and the sympathy that he has for the song. He's not a shredder, man. He plays what's in his heart. He makes it. He makes those notes matter. <laughs> yes, he does. He's not Every like a, he's. Yeah, I thought that was cool that you uh, that y'all took them out. You know that the. the the Crows took Government Mule out a lot when they were first starting, and then when Chris went solo, Warren took Chris out, you know, kind of as a, a payback, and then Mule took Magpie out on that on that tour. Speaking of Mule, you guys did that Smoking Mule tour. How, how much fun was that? It was incredible. And we did, I want to say we did 30 different encore songs. Wow. Um, maybe, th- maybe more, maybe 32. But uh, a guy that was out with, with Mule taping them every night, Heath Robson, he gave me a copy of all of it at the end of the tour, um, which is, um, I'm, I'm not one to usually go back and listen to something that we did. Not, not like that. Cause especially if you had a bad night, <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's fantastic. It was just, just out of this world. And well, that's, that speaks to Warren, to his, um, uh, he's so generous, man, as a musician and as a human, um, just like you said, about you know Chris and New Earth Mud and, and all that, but yeah, that, tons of fun. Love to do that again. Well, we we pitch the idea to Brit, and we'll pitch it to you. We would like to see a Crows, Blackberry Smoke co-headlining tour and Marcus King Band opening. <laughs> oh well, I, I'm 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 on board if we get that to happen. <laughs> <laughs> that kid is that kid is amazing. I was telling I, I tell people all the time. I think he's the next Warren Haynes. I remember the first time I heard him. Um, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Just un- unbelievable. Yeah, the sky's the limit for him, for sure. Yeah. And he, what is he, 24? If that. <laughs> yeah. If, uh, is, he, is he as young as that? I didn't realize that. Yeah. What am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> I think he was like 16 when his first album came out, um, which, yeah. is, which is just mind-boggling. Well, we mentioned earlier that, obviously, a, a Blackberry Smoke show unfolds a lot like a Black Crow show does. There's really cool covers thrown in there was there i mean obviously they were their own thing and and you're and blackberry smokes their own thing but it seems like as far as the live presentation y'all are two peas in a pod maybe it's where we come from i don't know i always thought we were a little more i don't know a little a little more um of a hillbilly band <laughs> than the crows are or were you know um but I mean, I've seen the Crows live 20 times, you know, or, or more. And uh, it, I remember so many times seeing them, uh, even in uh, when I was in my 20s, and thinking, I don't think there's a better rock and roll band than this on earth. I, I really don't. They were just a, just a, a special experience. And, uh, and maybe some of that is osmosis, like just in the, in the, the way that you think a rock and roll show should be presented, you know. Um, when you see somebody that does it that well, you probably can't help but be a little bit touched by it. I mean, the, the shame of the what's uh, well, one of the many shames of what's going on in the world right now is uh, nobody's really getting to present a live show for the foreseeable future. Yeah. So, uh, what what does Blackberry Smoke have on the have on the horizon to get you through this time? What uh, anything else lined up? We're gonna pr- uh, more than likely do some live stream type stuff. Oh yeah, uh, we're waiting for some. The, the, a lot of those options are on the horizon. Some people are already doing them. I know the venue Brooklyn Bowl in Nashville has done some with Marcus King and Billy Strings and 
the Ryman hosted Jason Isbell and Sturgill Simpson and some other people. And, and I think we're looking to try and find a place in Atlanta to do the same thing. Um, we actually got together and, and, um, and, uh, and did sort of, well, we've done some long distance things from home mm -hmm. and those are fun. I mean, that's technology at work, but we actually got in a room together and, and uh, did sort of another crib jam kind of thing as well to just, to, you know, it's kind of bridging the gap between figuring out what the new normal will be. Right. I was supposed to go see you guys, I think coming up in a couple of weeks in Memphis. Um, before we let you go, really t tell everybody though, how that tour was kind of going to play out. Y'all had JMO, you had the Almond Betts band. Was it, was it well, just going to be like a big jam at the end of the night? It was, we were going to do, it was going to be like, um, I don't know if you've ever been to the Peach Festival uh, in Pennsylvania. It was, uh, uh, I think initially it was the, the Almond Brothers Festival, basically, or, or uh, closely associated. Um, and then we, we played it a, several times. Rich did too, so did Chris. I, don't, I think the Wild Feathers did too, but there were a lot of bands that would come and play it pretty much every year, either every year or every other year. But our initial thought process was to have a sort of a, a traveling version of that. Because at the, that show, a lot of nights, the last set of the night would be a great big jam. So initially we thought, well, let's put together a tour where we have three bands or more play a full set of their own. And then the last set of the night is a full jam with everybody. Wow. And so in our case, it made sense then to celebrate music from the South. Not even just specifically Southern rock and roll music, quote unquote. I know some people... Some musicians don't like that term. I, I don't care myself. I mean, it, it, it is. I'm not offended by that. <laughs> but and then Jamo, uh, he he wanted to come too, so got him on. And of course, we would have played uh, brother songs and Wet Willie songs and Skinner songs and Marshall Tucker Band songs and Otis Redding songs and Little Richard songs and anything that's you know not not even just rock and roll, but we would play blues and soul and funk and gospel and. I was. It was going to be magical, and it will be. We're. I think we're going to do it next year. Oh, and perfect! I, I was just going to ask if it was still plans to carry that forward once things get back to normal. Yeah, and I, you know, the only you can run into all kinds of problems when you try and put something like that on because that's a lot of moving parts. And uh, I, we we wanted more bands on it to be a, like a traveling festival, mm. but then you run into like, well, what time is the show going to start? <laughs> Ten a.m. You know, right. uh, and. I don't know if you've noticed over the the last few years, but curfews have really tightened up around the yeah. So many venues you can't go past eleven o'clock, which is insane. <laughs> but I'm like, what are we all eighty years old? Just <laughs> but anyway, it's still going to be great. I mean, that'd be that that's that's a long day anyway with three, well, four basically, uh, four acts and a and a jam. Well, we definitely look forward to that. And um, Charlie, we forgot to ask you this before we started recording. We always let our guests pick a song to play us out, and you can pick any song you want. It can be your song, a crow song, or whoever. Any song. Any song. Anything. Any... Oh man! Well, I'm going with Midnight Rambler. We can, we can, we can sure make that happen. I do want to actually tell... wait. Yeah. Let me change my because since it is the State of America podcast. And I will go with Gone. Oh, oh Steve, nice pick. Steve Gorman would approve of that one. Uh, I do okay. want to tell everybody before we play out to uh, go on Bandcamp, support these guys. Uh, there's two acoustic shows, one uh, rock show on there, and uh, they have the uh, Capricorn Studio EP out. It sounds tremendous on vinyl. If you have a, If you have a turntable, go get it. Charlie, it was an honor to get to talk to you. We really appreciate you taking out time to, uh, yes. to come on. Oh, thank you guys, man. Thank, thank you. So you all are doing the Lord's work. <laughs> and, to, and, to, and, and to play us out, off of Morka, the opening track, Gone. Stay tall, everybody. <laughs>
Shoot him dead. 